friends, Jesus has got that special kind of deal where he knows our hearts, right? He knows our hearts. You don't even have to actually preach a specific message for it to reach people in that specific area. You could just preach Jesus, and the Holy Spirit can get to all the areas that need ministering to or that need nourishment or that need comfort or that need strength. It's a beautiful thing about Jesus, right? He knows the hearts of the people. And I think sometimes ministers, man, we can stumble over this idea that we need to uh, be able to discern the people, right? And all the different things that they need or that they need to be doing. And now we need to preach a word that tells them what they need to be doing, lest they don't know, right? It's kind of like we talked about Wednesday night. Jesus is always the answer for everything. And my prayer for the ministers in the world is that they could get a revelation of that. It's like Paul prayed that we, we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and the knowledge of Christ Jesus. I pray for the ministers because I actually think the people are good if the ministers could just understand that Jesus is the answer for everything. Right? I actually feel like the body is already there, and the ministers are playing catch-up. Right? It's like we're so filled with taking on the burden of persuasion, taking on the burden of producing fruit, taking on the burden of producing ministry, just taking on the burden of producing everything that God has promised us he will produce. Right? And it's like we want to make the promise of God void by us hammering the people with all the things that they need to be doing. Right? And it's like we're making the promise of God void in their hearts. Instead of just, I mean, God's actually the one that has the strength to produce every good thing that people need. He's the one who has the strength to fill out the body of Christ in the earth. He's the one that has the strength to produce gifts inside of people. He's the one who has the strength to produce the fruit of the Spirit inside of people. He's the one with the strength, right? And his strength manifested in the earth in the person of Christ Jesus. And so there's strength for everything that we ministers think the body needs. There's strength for all of those things that we think the people need. There's strength for all of that in just declaring the work that God's done in Christ Jesus, right? And if we'll just prepare the table, or we don't even got to prepare the table. If we'll just talk about the table God prepared as ministers, if we'll just come and say, behold, there is a table. And behold, there is the bread that is unto life in the midst of this table that can give us strength, that can strengthen the people. The, the strength that ministers need to perform ministry is actually found in the work God did in Jesus, right? And I think something in my heart is maybe to have a minister's conference so that we yes. can we can uh, preach to the ministers. <laughs> if you can get them to come, that's the hard thing about ministers. We're always in the know and nobody else knows but us, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, I thank God for the gospel. I thank God for where he's taken me and where he's led me out of. I thank God for all of that because I see that I was probably one of the most stiff-necked people, and I can see that he's actually persuaded me that all things that pertain to life and godliness is contained in the word that was made flesh in Jesus. Like, he's actually persuaded me. Like, I don't look nowhere else. I don't want to hear nothing else, and I don't want to teach nothing else. And he hasn't just persuaded me by twisting my arm. Like, I see that he's produced his life in me. And I see that he's produced things in me that I never could have produced on my own. And all I can say is glory to God. Right? Glory to God. Well, I was thinking on the way over here, uh, 
Well, we, 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 the, the church we grew up in schools, maybe y'all have heard this before, the parting remarks of the priest or preacher or whoever, go in peace for love and serve the Lord. You've heard that before? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how you do that? All right, and so I was thinking, okay, what is that? In the spirit, what would that mean? Well, how did God serve us? And what did he serve us with? Mm-hmm. He served us with the faith yeah. that yields life in the human heart, right? right. Forever. And so to serve God would mean to just dwell in that faith. And so that's easy. In fact, that's effortless. In fact, when you're persuaded, it's nothing you do to yourself. It's just something that happened to you. Right. If people understood that, they wouldn't go out with this sense of command, how am I going to do that? Mm-hmm. they go out, that, out, out of there with joy saying, hey, already done. Mm-hmm. Amen. And there's something you really need to understand about the way servants work in ancient societies that would really explain what it means to be a servant of God. If you were financially desperate, you just couldn't go bankrupt. You actually had to basically sell yourself to someone to serve them. So, it, I mean, of course it does. Even Paul said that the analogy doesn't work personally, but it's that question of what's that thing you're running to when you're not experiencing life? What's the thing you're running to when you're not experiencing life? Well, it's interesting you say that because under the Roman law, which is the basis for uh, the, the civil code in the state and, and the civil systems and the majority of the legal systems in the world, they had a concept in bankruptcy of a death. Right. And the bankrupt would be considered dead. And, and then, this isn't the terminology used, but uh, a new person would then take its place so that the debts were forgiven. Mm-hmm. So there's actually a parallel to that in, in, in the gospel. That it's not that you have to sell yourself to be free of the debt, but rather you were considered dead. Yeah. Mm. And a new person then is on the scene. That's right, dead to death. So there's a lot of, con- there's a lot of scriptural truths that's embedded in the legal system. What does it mean to actually worship God? Right? And I love um, how Jesus said that he told the woman at the well that there's going to come a time where the true worshipers of God will be here. They're going to worship God in spirit, even in truth. And and to worship God in spirit and in truth is to believe or be persuaded that God has come and drawn near to you to serve you with his life or to pamper you with his life or to comfort you with his life. God would even say, I mean, you want to do something for God, God would come and say to you, well, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And, and so God's heart is filled with this idea that there, he feels great joy at the pouring out of himself. And I mean, that's even what it means to be God. And so worshiping God, I love what Jesus said also when he come walking into Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday. And um, the, the kids were saying, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And um, the the Pharisees were very upset with that. And he said, do you hear what they're saying? Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, have you not read in the Psalms how it says that the Lord God has per- perfected praise out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? So he said that God, God has perfected praise out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. And he connected that to them saying, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. And if you go and read what that means, it means that they were saying to God or to Jesus, save us, save us now. (coughs) Save us, save us now. And the only way they'd be saying that to Jesus if they thought Jesus was the Christ or the anointed one. 
or God with them. Emmanuel. And so Jesus comes and describes worshiping God as crying out to God or calling upon the name of the Lord, which is really just to, to call God Father. If you want to know the, the, the simplest, most pure picture of worship, and I say this a lot, guys, so that we can start discerning things this way. Jesus is the Word made flesh. That means the Word about what worship is was made flesh in Jesus, and it was defined inside of Jesus. And so if you want to know the perfect picture of worshiping God and what that looks like, Behold Jesus on the cross with both his hands nailed to the tree, and he couldn't do anything for God. Mm -hmm. And out of his mouth came perfect praise when he said, Abba, into your hands I commit my life. Right? And it says that Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. He was raised from the dead by the love of the Father. And so the worship or the praise that came out of Jesus' mouth was just to look to the Father to serve him with the life that he needed. Right? That's worshiping God. That's how you worship God in spirit, even in truth. You see that you're not an orphan. God is with you to be a father to your life. And it's his good pleasure to father his life in you free from your works. Right? I think it's very interesting how Jesus' hands were nailed to the tree. Right? Because he couldn't perform anything with those hands. He had nothing to offer God, and he needed everything. And out of his mouth and his heart, he worshiped God by calling God Father. And he didn't just mean, well, you know, you, my genesis is from you. That's not what he meant. What he's saying is, is that God is the one that will serve him with the life that he needs. God will father his life inside of this physical body. God, the Father, will consume the death that's come upon me on this cross, and he will consume it to the uttermost, and he'll leave me in a body where there's no sin or no death anywhere to be seen, and I'll have a body that's been glorified by his doing and by his life that can never be touched by death again. And that's worshiping God, right? And it's a hard thing, I think, for, for ministers and, and Christians to wrap their heads around this. If you want people to experience life, isn't God called Father? Mm -hmm. Well, doesn't that mean he's the one that brings it forth in people? Isn't it his seed that produces fruit in people? So if we want people to be fruitful, or even if we find a people that we think aren't fruitful, doesn't that mean that they need a revelation of what it means that God is Father? And then don't we want to come and teach them about what it means that God is the Father of their life and that the world is not the Father of their life? It's that simple, man. Right? It's like when Jesus found the woman caught in the act of adultery, which is what I preached on. I mean, she needed life, didn't she? I mean, she she needed to be saved from the fruit of death. She needed to be healed from the works of the flesh. And she needed the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus could have taught her a bunch of things. And what did he teach her about? God is with you to be a father to your life. That's, right. That's what he taught her. And then he sent her off to go and no longer live in the earth as if she was an orphan, needing to care for her own life. That's why he said, go and sin no more, right? Jesus defines sin in John 16 as unbelief in God's righteousness towards you to clothe upon you with life. And so the woman caught in the act of adultery just needed a revelation of what it meant that God was father and that she wasn't an orphan in the earth, left needing to produce good fruit herself. Right? That's what she needed. That's what he gave her. And he sent her off to know that God was with her 
to be a father to her life, right? If she needs the fruit of the Spirit, he's with her to produce it in her. If she needs to be saved from the works of the flesh, he's with her to heal her from that, right? If she needs rest, he's with her to serve her with rest. If she needs comfort, he's with her to serve her with comfort. That's what she needed, and that was it. I know that's too simple for us really smart guys that we can get in here and, you know, well, the Hebrew meaning of this word, it has actually 20 different meanings, and, um, <laughs> right? And there's nothing wrong with looking to the meaning of a word. But it's really the simplistic, honestly, all you really need is a revelation of what it means that God's Father. That's actually all you really need. That's actually it. And everything we say and everything we do is with the intent to combat everything that teaches you something that's contrary to God as your father. And everything we teach is to bring you into the place where you abide in what Jesus revealed about God being your mm -hmm. father, right? Even as Jesus abided in the truth that God was his father. And, it, and John says he abided, Jesus abided in the father's love, right? That's why Jesus would come and say, abide in me. What does he mean when he says abide in me? Jesus is the truth that is the way unto life. Well, Jesus also said in John, I have come to reveal the Father even as he has given me commandment. So he looked at humanity and he said, these guys are perishing because they don't know what it means that God's their Father. And they're living in the earth as orphans. So the Father has given unto my hands that I would come into the earth and reveal him as Father. So all of the humans that are in the earth thinking they're orphans, needing to give themselves life, needing to preserve their own life, needing to produce their own peace, their own joy, their own love, they'll see God is with them as Father to do that. And so when Jesus says, abide in me, what he's saying is, I am manifesting the Father in the earth. And guess what? The Father so loved the world that he sent me to conquer their death, to remove the sentence of condemnation that was over them, to be an advocate to the world, to stand next to them as their friend, and to rebuke the devourer. That's the Father. Now abide in the revelation of the Father that I've manifested in this earth. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. And then he calls himself the vine and says that we're the branches. What do you, the nutrients that you need for life are contained in the word of the Father. Right? That's it. Tom. Greg, the, the condemnation, is that the condemnation that we place upon ourselves? Our own hearts condemn us if we perceive something in our lives that isn't consistent with life. And so the, the, the actual father of condemnation would be death. Now, our hearts are the ones that either receive it or reject the condemnation. But it isn't God that ever condemned us. It was we saw death or the works of the flesh in our lives. And then we felt that meant that there's something wrong with us, right? We're not as we ought to be. We're separated from life. God doesn't love us. And we even created this ideology where we said God was the one that uncovered our nakedness. And he was ashamed of us because of our body of death, right? And so that's the condemnation. And so God's like, man, these guys need life, and they need to be saved from death. But I'm the only one that can do that. And they won't come near me because they think I'm the one condemning them. Right? 
And so he's like, how can I get them to feel at peace in my presence so I can serve them with life? I keep coming to wash their feet, and they keep running from me, even though their feet are bleeding and full of sores. And so how can I get them to be at rest in my presence? God says, I know. I'll condemn the deaf that's condemning them. Mm. And I'll condemn it inside of the body of this man, Jesus. And then all of the people will see that I condemned the thing that was condemning them. Mm-hmm. And they'll start to see, oh, this guy's my friend. Mm. You ever notice how if something's against you and tearing you down and speaking against you and slandering you and harming your life, if somebody comes alongside of you and is like, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> You're like, yeah. What the hell? And all of a sudden you feel like you have a friend. Mm-hmm. They understand. They feel your pain. They see that that thing is against you, and they don't think it's right that it's against you, right? And so that's what God come and did in Jesus, so that our hearts could have a repentance, where as before, we thought God was the one condemning us because of our nakedness, and then when we see God with us condemning the thing that was condemning us, we see, oh, this guy's our friend. He's not the bully that's been beating and bruising us. He just came and bullied the bully that was beating and bruising us, right? It's like uh, Genesis said, God prophesied to the serpent. He said, the seed of woman, you'll, the, you'll bruise the heel of the seed of woman and he will crush your head. That's talking about Jesus. And so, yeah, the, the, the serpent bruised the heel of Jesus, but Jesus was bruising the serpent on the cross, meaning death. And so death was trying to bully Jesus. And Jesus is the son of man, but he's also the son of God. The fullness of God was in Jesus. And when death was bruising Jesus on the cross, do you know what Jesus was doing to death? He was whooping the bully that had been giving us a wedgie. He was whipping the bully that had been locking us in the locker, that was stealing our lunch money, that was throwing us in the garbage can. And he did it as God himself. And then that, wait a second, I thought you were the one stealing my lunch money. I thought you were the one giving me a wedgie. I mean, I saw my nakedness. I saw the fruit of death in my life, and I thought for sure that you were the one punishing me and condemning me. And now you're standing with me, and you beat up the bully? Oh, man. And you start getting a revelation of what it means that God's Father. And that, you guys know I talk a lot of complicated things. They're actually not that complicated. Right. If you try and track what I say with your intellect, it will sound very complicated. But everything I say is just with the intent to put God on display as the one that will serve you with life and to put on display that you can't serve yourself or anyone else with life. That's everything that I say. You could wrap it up in that, which is exactly what Jesus revealed on the cross. Right. What did Jesus what was Jesus revealing when he was nailed to the cross? The wages of trusting in the strength of your own hand will serve you with this. You don't have any. If you want to know what you have in yourself to give and to produce, this is it. If you want to put your own strength to work, to produce life, to clothe yourself, this is what you'll be clothed with. And then he put on display what the father has in himself to give. Because he did cry out to the father, didn't he? And what was the result of him committing his life into the hands of the father? A glorified immortal flesh that can never die again. Right? 
That's actually the simplicity of the word made flesh. It's interesting because like all these people with these fancy degrees and stuff talk all about this Bible knowledge. And I'm like, I have a lot of Bible knowledge. I'm a walking Bible encyclopedia. But at the end of the day, the more I get, all I get is just another way to explain the exact same truth, just in a different way. That's it. That's it. The manifold wisdom of God. Right? The manifold wisdom of God. I had a person at the conference that was just sincere and sincerely asking because, you know, when I I said that Deuteronomy says the law was written by the finger of God. Deuteronomy 9 and Exodus 31. And I said Jesus was writing on the stone floor in the temple with his finger. When they said Moses says the law, or Moses gave the law, and the law says this, Jesus like, I wrote the law. They sincerely asked, well, how is Jesus the law? And I said, well, you know what the law taught us? That trusting in the, the strength of your own hand will serve you with death. But committing your life into the hands of God will serve you with eternal life. And I said, well, isn't that Jesus on the cross? Isn't he showing us what the law said? That trust the wages of trusting in your own works is death? Isn't that the totality of what the law said? That's what Jesus was saying on the cross. He's the word made flesh. What word was being declared on Jesus on the cross? The wages of trusting in your own strength. You thinking you can clothe yourself with the fruit of God's life will serve you with this. And why would it do that? Well, Moses comes and tells us in Exodus chapter 20 why he would be doing that. So that he could put on display the belief we had in our heart and show us what it was doing to us. With the intent that when we saw what it was doing to us, we would no longer trust in our own strength, but our hearts would revere God instead of our own strength, and that we wouldn't miss the mark. What's the mark, guys? I know we all been taught the mark is good behavior. The, the immortality. Mark, immortality in the flesh was always the mark. It was always the mark. And Adam thought he could hit the mark by clothing himself in the fruit of God's life. And he couldn't. And God saw that the Israelites were the same way and all mankind was the same way. So he said, I'm going to prove to them that the way they think is unto life is actually the way that's unto death. And I'm going to prove it to them because I'm going to put on display that wisdom that's in their heart, in their midst. And when they can see the ugly life that wisdom is giving them and that it's stealing from them and killing them and destroying them, then they're Fear will no longer be in their own strength, which means reverence. They'll no longer revere their own ability to clothe themselves, but their hearts will instead revere me as the one who clothes. Right? And they won't miss the mark, which is immortality in the flesh, which the scriptures talk about and refer to as to be clothed upon. Paul said, we groan. Desiring to be clothed upon. Well, he was wearing clothes when he said that. You know that, right? I mean, he was wearing, I mean, he was dressed, I mean, he might have had like a, I don't know, like a robe or something. But he had a garment on. And so when he says that we groan, desiring to be clothed upon, he, he goes further and describes that for our mortal body to put on our immortal bodies, that we have a house not made with our own hands in heaven that God made for us through Jesus, right? And he says, we groan, desiring to be clothed with that. 
It's interesting. I was um, talking about being clothed. I was thinking of when um, the Ark entered Jerusalem and King David's clothes came off. That was saying, you know, he saw who God was, so he didn't mind his nakedness being exposed, or he didn't have to clothe himself. Yeah, he knew God didn't unclothe. He knew God wasn't the one uncovering his nakedness. Mm -hmm. God wasn't ashamed of his nakedness, right? So he didn't feel condemned in the presence of God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does anyone have anything they want to add yeah. or subtract? It just takes a great theologian to screw up the Bible. Yes. <laughs> yes. Great in their own eyes, too. Right? Yeah, I'm not a theologian. <laughs> okay. Hey Greg, I think it's interesting when Jesus is writing in the stone floor of the temple to show who he really was, that he actually did it twice. And if you think back, God had to do it twice. Moses broke the first set. Yep. So I think that's an interesting dynamic with that scene too. Hmm. Absolutely. And after, the, I mean, everything's by revelation of God. But after God reveals it to you, you wonder how you never saw it. Because I read the Bible a million times, and it was I mean, I read a million times that God wrote the law with His finger. Well, if you re start with John's Gospel, it starts off by telling you Jesus is God in the flesh, tabernacle. Right? That the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh to reveal the glory of God. And the Word tabernacled with us. I mean, who was it that was tabernacling with the Israelites? It was God. And what did Isaiah prophesy of? Emmanuel, God with us. And so it's so obvious that Jesus is God in the whole Gospel of John. And so I, I always wondered after the fact, why did I miss that for so many years? There's a lot of power the reason why I rail against God forsook the Son, there's a reason why I rail against that. It isn't an academic reason. It isn't an intellectual reason that I rail against that. The reason I rail against it is because if your theology has a father that has forsaken the Son on the cross, that will prevent you from seeing that's the Father on the cross. That's the Father. Jesus came to reveal God. And if you can't see that that's God himself on the cross, then there's a significant gap in your understanding of God's righteousness towards you. There's a significant gap. So it isn't like, oh, what's it matter? Oh, it freaking matters. It goes back to what I posted on the Facebook page where I asked out a girl after she previously turned me down saying like my flesh did not want to go through that but i figured if god can you know look at the god who was with jesus on the cross and i can look at the god who's going to be with me in any situation i'm in yeah any situation you're in or, or no matter what you do to you jesus begins the sermon on the mount with blessed are those that mourn blessed are those that hunger and thirst after god's righteousness he says they shall inherit the kingdom of god then he goes on to say, unless you seek a righteousness 
that's greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the one they're seeking, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to describe the righteousness that is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's the very thing that manifested in God on the cross towards us. When we smacked him across the face, he turned and gave us the other cheek. When we were despitefully using him, he prayed for us. When we were cursing him, he blessed us. When we were smiting God, God, he was embracing us, telling us he knows it's okay. And when you get a picture of the God that was was more willing to taste your death for you than to let you die, that was rent in the deepest part of his being at the thought of you perishing, like it says in 2 Corinthians, I think, 3 or 5, where it says, God, not willing to impute your sin to you. When you see that's God on the cross that rather come into the earth, put on a skin suit and absorb the wages of your sin into himself and take all your anger, all your confusion, all your hurt, all your pain, all your offense into himself and embrace you in the midst of it because he'd rather die himself than let you die. When you start to see that's the equitable deed, that's the loving kindness in this guy's heart towards you, and you'll see that there's nothing you can do to move him off of it. You can smack him in the face. You can strip him naked. You can beat him to the point of death. You can spit on him. You can mock him. You can pull out his beard. You can put a crown of thorns on him. You can curse him, and he's still loving you. When you start seeing that God, listen, man, your life will be forever changed. Forever changed. And that's why it's so damaging to separate the Father and the Son on the cross. It's one of the primary reasons. Because God wants you to see what's really in his heart towards you when all of the hell is in your heart towards him, right? Because then you become persuaded that this guy can never do me any harm. There's no harm in this guy's heart towards me. This guy is never keeping a wrong against me. I mean, we put it to the test. If we could have ever convinced a guy that he should be filled with hatred towards us, it would have been there. I mean, we tested that thing. I was talking to a bartender last night. And he said, he made a comment, you have to be uh, sorry to have eternal life. <clears throat> I said, sorry for what? He said, sorry for your sins. I said, well, what if you had a tumor? I said, uh, would you have to be sorry for your tumor? He said, no. I said, well, why would you have to be sorry for sin? And he looked at me like, wow, that's weird. Death is not our fault. We're the victims of death, but we're taught that it's our fault. And then we're taught we can't approach the one who can heal us. I think the ultimate result of religion makes you a cultural jihadist, meaning that you you have a God who loves you, but he's got these ten things that he wants you to do. And if you don't do them, he's going to kill you, but he still loves you. Yeah. Which is a paradox in itself, which is tremendously, you know, I, I can understand why you wouldn't want to hang out with God like that. But, um, you know, the, but, you know, from a, like a evangelical standpoint, you know, where you, you're told that you have to bring people to Jesus, that's part of your commission, your purpose, you know, and, you know, that's what the work book says. But, um, is the fact that um, you know your your sin is like you 
I guess your sin is um, all sin arises from non-belief, or all bad behavior arises from non-bad behavior, for lack of belief. So when yep. God says, I forgive your sins, he's really saying, I think, I forgive you non-belief of that particular con that led, to, you know, it might have manifested in a certain way, or it may, it may not have. Yeah. But I think, you know, the, the freeing thing, is, as far as that's concerned, is you don't have to really do anything. Like, the commission's not on you to let everybody else know. Or are you responsible for that? You know, you can just tell them and then say, trust in God and say, okay, you know, God will, God's really in charge of this. It's yeah. like when my grandfather passed away and I knew in the spirit he was saved. I'm like, I know God spoke to my grandfather and my grandfather said yes. And I would have to worry about, you know, did I share to someone else or what? I just know that. I think that humans not understanding how the spirit produces fruit and the gifts, um, they could hear what we're saying and think we're saying there won't be any evangelism. Mm -hmm. I think I found that the most in my life is that people hear me and they don't actually hear what I say. It's, it's not that there won't be fruit. It's not that there won't be evangelism. It's that it comes forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. The mm -hmm. Holy Spirit produces it in us instead of us telling people they must go do it. Right, And in fact, by us telling people they must go do it, we actually send people off into a strange dynamic where they're not compelled by love. They're compelled by somebody telling them they should go do it. But Paul, people can feel that. People can feel if you're talking to them out of a, a, a love and a compassion you feel genuinely, or if you're doing something out of a uh, service order. What you're doing is selling them fire insurance. Yes. So here, buy this fire insurance so you won't perish in hell. That's right. Which is the antithesis, because if you're going to heaven out of fear of not going to hell, that's not really love. That's not really faith that, either. That's, that's a transaction as an insurance agency. Yeah, it makes, it makes God transactional. Yeah, you know, we, we, find we, we were taught to tell people, uh, when you die, you want to be in the smoking section or the non-smoking section? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so it's yeah, it, it's like this. This is what this is what humans this is what humans struggle with. All of us have at one point or another, and all of us probably will at another point in another area. We struggle to believe that God can actually do what's in His heart to do that He said He will do. It's <laughs> in God's heart to fill out the body. It's in God's heart to reach people with the Word of Life. And he possesses the ability to bring forth those gifts and those desires in people that have union with him. And it doesn't come from a twisting of the arm or a forced metric. It comes out of a deep persuasion of union with God and like a burning and a passion in your bones. Look, nobody ever had to tell me to preach. <laughs> like nobody had to tell me you should be preaching, bro. Like, I ain't preaching because somebody told me that was my duty. And I think people can tell. Because there's a burning in my bones to preach. Nothing can stop me. Even should everybody leave, I'll still be preaching. Right? My wife will probably try to get you guys back so that she don't have to hear me. 24-7. I mean, my wife likes to hear me preaching, just not 24-7. Right? But... No, there's a burning in my bones. There's a passion in my heart for people to know the Father. And so that's why I preach. It's not because someone told me I must preach. 
And if I was preaching, because somebody told me I must preach, I could promise you this. I would have quit a long time ago. I would have quit a long time ago if I was doing it out of necessity and not out of love. I would have stopped a long time ago, right? As far as the world goes, Becky and I, we could be down on the beach with very nice tans right now. Really cool straw hats, some Eddie Bauer hats or something, some banana uh, Republic hats. We could be renting jet skis and parasailing and sipping margaritas, man. But, you know, that would have never made me happy. And no one had to tell me, well, you can't do that, brother. You must preach. Where will people be if you don't preach? No, I just had a burning in my bones. And we struggled to see. This is, Paul said that Jesus led captivity captive. He ascended into heaven and put death. He bound death when he ascended into heaven as a human being, seated above the death that's in this world. He bound it. And it says that he gave gifts unto mankind, mm -hmm. right? And so the those gifts are contained in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, out of union with people, can find it's able to produce passion in people, right? Oh. And that, it's like Paul come and said, is everybody evangelist? No. Is everybody a teacher? No. Is everybody in this gift or that gift? No. And the worst thing human beings do is they take their gift and what they're passionate about, and then they try to create everybody else in the image of their passion. And now you got a church with a bunch of hands yep. instead of a body. Right? Because, no, 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 the administration gift, that's not very good because they're not evangelizing. Right? And they ought to be evangelizing instead of administrating. Wow. Right? And what we do is we, we, we bring our own, we take our desire for the kingdom of God, which is a beautiful, pure thing. But then we don't mix it with the faith that came in Jesus. And because we don't mix it with the faith that came in Jesus, lust is born in our hearts. And now we do evangelism from the perspective of lust. And we do ministry from the perspective of lust. And we men preach from the perspective of lust. And we have church gatherings and church services. And we try to get people saved from the perspective of lust instead of the perspective of abundance, right? And believing that God can actually fill out the church, right? Listen, sp I'm speaking as a fool right now, so please understand. I probably preach more than most anybody does. I probably spend more time ministering the gospel than most anybody. I spend more time preaching messages, having Bible studies, explaining scriptures, counseling people. I spend probably, and my wife can testify to this, probably 14 to 16 hours a day doing that, right? No one had to tell me to do that. Neither am I waking up thinking I'll do it because I'm supposed to, right? There's a passion in my heart for people's lives. There's a passion in my heart for the love of God for people because I see how much he loves people and that's why I do it. When I see people hurting, when I see people wanting to know God, I, I all I could the best way I can describe it is I feel in my heart what God feels for them. Uh -huh. And then out of that I find this strong compelling. It's like I'm arrested, right? By this love I know God has in his heart for them. I'm arrested by that. And I find myself ministering to people. But other people are arrested by an administration gift. Or another kind of a gift. And that's not to say that gift is less than, right? And it's not to say that every person can't give a word or a testimony about the hope they have. That's different than I must go out and evangelize everybody, mm -hmm. right? So every believer can give a testimony of the hope they have should somebody ask them, right? When all hell breaks loose in the world and you're not moved by the hell, People are going to ask you, why you're okay? Uh -huh. Why are you straight? 
Well, then you can tell them in your own words and description about the God that conquered death, about the God who got it right to liberate your world from the death in the world and hide your life in him, in your own words. It's interesting because I remember um, back when I was a charismaniac, I went to the conferences where it's like, we got to go evangelize through like, you know, healings, words of knowledge and stuff like that. And then I just got, you know, and realized, I'm like, that's not even my gifting. They taught it. They gave you instruction manual. Yeah. The workbook. (laughs) Yeah. The workbook. It's funny because I even found like my own, even like evangelism, it's like I'll sit down and take any topic and I'll have a very in-depth conversation. That's kind of my own evangelism style. Like I'll naturally connect any topic you want to talk about to the word of God and that's what I like to do and, and again yeah. words of wisdom and words of knowledge mm-hmm. are not evil mm-hmm. and that's not what anybody here is saying mm-hmm. and I'm only saying that not for you guys benefit for the benefit of the people that hear it and that's what they take away from it it's that those things can come forth from the Holy Spirit as Paul said the spirit moves as the spirit wills right. mm-hmm. and so what we want to do is we just want to teach the spirit we want to teach the spirit of truth. We want to let that spirit move as that spirit wills in people, right? Because we actually believe God can build his own church, mm. right? We actually wow. believe that God knows how to do that. Mm-hmm. We actually believe that God knows how to fill out the body. Yeah. We actually believe he knows how to bring forth whatever gift is needed in whatever situation where it's needed, right? That is so much better than them trying to teach you and then send you out to practice it yeah. you know rather <laughs> that's what I, I was in that for a little bit yeah, it's so I much better do. when the god just does it and you just know and you don't have yeah. to think about it you don't have to worry about what if i get it wrong the yeah. aggravation <laughs> was that the class was three hours and the lab was only one hour and it took all your time so. yeah that's true that's true you know i was just thinking what when i was on survivor if i were to go on in i went on as a christian if i had going in not worried about what I had to say or wear or speak or even lie in the game. If I'd have been myself, I think I would have won the million dollars. <laughs> you probably would. You would. Because, you know, part of it was before I went, I had people from my church telling me, well, you know, you, you, know, you can't lie. Well, you know, do you, you play poker? Do you lie? Do you, do you have a surprise birthday party for someone and lie about what you're doing that Saturday night? You know, so the whole thing was, do you go in as a Christian and represent? You know, I'm like, Hey, it cost me a million dollars. Yeah, I've been cursing the whole time. Like, I have said a lot more than I said. I can tell you that. And it wouldn't have been nice. Tell about the heck you swear on that. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's what cost me. Because well, yeah. in, in the last scene that they show, a girl who was on the show who happened to be a lesbian, which is, you know, that was her problem. But she, I mean, liked, she liked Thomas, even though she said she was a lesbian. Anyway, just saying. I mean, I'm just saying. She was, she was a great, she's a really neat girl, but she and I, you know, obviously she thought I was this Christian, so she, you know. So at one scene, she said, well, you know, we'll swear on the Bible. And, and Scout puts her hand out and says, go ahead, swear. And I'm thinking, don't do it. Don't do it. You're on national TV and you, you're a Christian and you're going to swear on the Bible. And I literally, that's what cost me. Because I should have gone, I swear to God, I, did, I didn't say that. Either, because I really didn't say what she, but I'm like, okay, God knows I'm just for the game. And I'm not like really, you know, kind of glad I didn't do that. But I mean, still, you know, that's how I thought. 
that God was going to be upset with me oh. if I did that in a in a game. You know? a game. And I really did think that. I I did. I, I was if you you could go and watch it, see the look on my face, like you know, shoot, man, I should have just like led into it. But anyway, I just thought I'd say that because slap that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, snap out of it. That was an opportunity right there. Well, the funny thing is, is um, you know, I mean, we all it, it just turned out good in the end, but um, you know, uh, I mean, she's the person too. That I really love the girl and all the people on there, even though we were all from different, you know. I didn't judge her, but the that is a funny thing. They all kind of more judged me, and I didn't I didn't judge any of them. Like I I was like. It goes back to living by the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, I try to the carnal view of knowledge of good and evil. Do what's right, avoid what's doing wrong. And even with some of our kids who are some of our job hunting right now, you want to go this way, go that way. Not right or wrong. What's in your heart? What do you want? What's in your heart to do? Put the money aside. What's in your heart to do? If what, what one thing I learned here that really. Uh, never thought about before, but it, it makes me feel good, is uh, the, the main message of the gospel is that God was fulfilling his own dream for himself, that his dream was to have a, a family forever that he could share his life with, and that's why he did what he did. The, 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 the man-centric view says, you know, looking up, hey, we're having trouble down here, come rescue us, uh -huh. and, and, and I think the better view, or... or Maybe the uh, more attractive view or the more persuasive view is God did what he did first and foremost for himself because he wanted us. And that makes, to me, that's comforting because that, that takes away whether I qualify. Uh, yeah. It's not whether I qualify or I'm good enough or anything. He wants what he wants and he wants you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, out of love. Out of love. Out of the love in his heart. You can't deny yeah. his own heart. Yeah, so... <laughs> He went to hell and back for it. It just, just wasn't enough salt in, in heaven. Things didn't taste right. He needed some of us. Yeah, well, they had this week, they had a couple who was from a works oriented big church <laughs> off of Highway 59. <laughs> 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 the, the big big. Oh, but, um, you know. She, Will I possibly recognize the name of the pastor? Yeah. Even in <laughs> but, um, he had said, uh, you know, she, the lead-in was, I said, what do you, what's your objective here as a family lawyer? She, she goes, I want justice. And I'm like, my head's going off. Uh, they, first of all, you're never going to get justice. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, it just doesn't never happen, and it will never will happen. But the second thing, I, and I saw, I said, well, you know, the only justice we have is eternal life. And I could see their demeanor change. And, you know, they were in a situation where, they had gotten an acute financial situation because COVID. So that didn't fit with the matrix with tithing, you know, doing all the, you know, service, doing the services on Saturday and doing all the steps to be a good Christian. And, um, you know, I was talking to them. We saw the irreverent, what I said to them. But it, it, but it was, I don't know if it's the way the Holy Spirit meant me to say it, but I basically said, you know, the religion they teach us is no different than the Muslim religion mm -hmm. in, in, in the sense that you do, 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 and then you get a reward. Yep. Right. And they were like, and they thought about it. 
and you know I started reversing it because the you know we just started talking. I said, you know, your your financial issue and the issue with your grandchild child has nothing to do with your standing with God. Uh, yep. I said, there's a lot of people who are going to navigate this world fabulously who are who are going to reject Jesus, and then a lot of people in mental institutions and jail who are going to be in the glory of God who do horribly in this world by the world standards. Had a I had a mentally unstable neighbor who was a believer. He, he was he had like a combination of schizophrenia and bipolar. And I can celebrate the fact that um, no matter how it goes, goes for him, he's going to have an immortal body that won't struggle with those things. Anymore. Well, actually, I'll tell you, I'll tell my daughter. You know, let's get personal. She's been out of rehab for the last six months, and but she believes in Jesus, and so, and it's been a sort of a train wreck in a worldly fashion, in and out, you know, four or five ODs or whatever, you know, in the last two years. But, you know, you know, I was telling them about that because I was telling them in the context of the family law because she was looking for the justice from the judge. And I was just telling us, look, I'm sitting here working. It hurts. But I know whatever the outcome is, she's going to be in heaven, whether she navigates this world well or not, or if she ends up, you know, I know we may get the call one day saying, from the coroner saying she's gone, but this, she, she's like, how do you do that? And I say, well, it hurts, but I know she's going to be in heaven, and I know her life comes from heaven and not from here. But the, when I was talking to them, they were so beaten down by the requirements for Christianity and the steps to be a Christian, and, you know, they were very relieved. You know, they were starting to think about you know, they sort of opened up and said, you know, we're thinking about leaving the church. We came come here. But on the other hand, I didn't feel like I had to, I just gave them your name, but I didn't feel like I had to convince them. Right. Mm. In other words, I just gave them a little information, and I didn't feel like I had to close the sale. That's right. And, Hallelujah. And, and, and do that. But, and no um, one had to tell you to tell those people that. Did I was going to say, it was just love. You see how it's you so just beautiful. felt? Right. Yeah. And say so, it? That's and the I, Holy Spirit. And and I left, and I wasn't judging the results. They, they may show up here, no. they may not. And no, and they not. experience salvation. Salvation is sozo is not just in the sweet by and by one day. It's experiencing the kingdom of God in your heart. And those people were under a heavy yoke, and you came and spoke to them the gospel, and it popped off the yoke, man. And no one had to tell you to do it. And so for everybody watching online that can get confused, we're not saying it's evil to evangelize. We're not saying it's evil to tell people about Jesus. We're not saying the gifts of the Spirit are evil or that words of wisdom and words of knowledge are evil. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is how are those things actually designed to come forth in humans? And where we're drawing the line is that we're actually believing that the Holy Spirit will bring forth those things in humans and that it doesn't come forth by us trying to manipulate it out of people. That's where the line's drawn. So we, we're like Adam and Jesus. Right? We both agree that the fruit of God's life is good, and we both agree we want to be clothed in it. But we think that it's the Spirit that'll do the clothing, and you think that it's humans that will do the clothing. That's the difference. Right? It's like Paul said, he said that they, they accuse him of saying that sin is good. Right? People, whenever people are functioning from the carnal mind, and you come and take an axe to the way the carnal mind thinks, they don't really hear what you say, right? And so what they hear you saying, even though you never say it, is, well, they said we should never evangelize. I heard James <laughs> said he knows a schizophrenic who's not 
double-minded. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, see, that's good stuff. And Doug, I mean, Doug can attest to this. I've never once told him he needed to go evangelize. I've never once told him, listen, man, you need to get the people in your neighborhood to come to church. I've never told him that. I've never told anybody that. I've never told one person they needed to get people to come to church. My youth pastor used to have all kinds of incentives to give us to <laughs> get people to church. I felt bad because I never got to enjoy the. <laughs> you never got to enjoy the incentives. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's a huge yoke on kids because that, that messed up our yeah. well. Yeah. That had an effect on our kids yeah. in, I mean, in different ways because, you know, some of those kids, they, they don't need to be saddled with the yoke of, you know, like being Amway. And bringing in some new consumers here, you know, it's they, they, they just, they just uh, you know, they chapter just, six of how to build your church, yeah. Yeah. Bring in some new consumers. but but you know, that because they, they felt so guilty and shame, it's like the couple I met because they didn't miss, meet the benchmarks. And their, their initial analysis as to why they were is, Am I praying enough? Am I doing enough service? Am I going to the 6 30 service? And that, and that was their first, that was the way they analyzed. They're standing in God and said, what in the heck are we doing wrong? Mm. And we had another guy who came in. You know, he got DP money. He gave 10% of that. He, he had, had a fabulous business. And he had, you know, his wife and kids, everything intact. And it all went. Because he lost his business. And, you know, he said, I gave 10% you know, of my DP money, which I could use now. It's all gone. And he was saying, what did I do wrong? What did, what, and he was analyzed. And, he, and then he was like, it doesn't make sense to me because I did everything they said they yeah. would do. And I should be like up here now. Hmm. And I should have everything going good with my relationships. My kids should be doing well. My, I should be having a, um, a, 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 you know, I'm, I'm hitting the love languages with my wife. And I'm pressing <laughs> all those right buttons so they should love me more. And, you know. It's not, well, that doesn't work. You know, and he's saying, what, what happened? And, and then he's got shame, confusion, and disillusionment. And it's basically, you know. All in his relationship with God. Yes. Yeah, that's why it's so damaging. Yeah. And that's why the world is such a powerful deceiver. Because yeah. it gets you to identify your life and God's heart towards you based on a life that's corruptible. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's decaying. You see, I mean, actually, you know, the Torah said something to the fact, at least the Muslims are honest about it. They'll, you know, that they, they're out front about the death you receive. Yeah. You know, the death that you receive here is sort of hidden under the, you know, under the rug, you know, so at least you know what you're dealing with. Yeah. I, uh, I learned, uh, or, or God shows me things in more word pictures than anything else. And I was riding by the lake the other day, and it was real calm. And I was thinking, oh, this is really soothing. And then I thought, well, when it's real choppy, I think a storm's coming, and that's disconcerting. And that's what it's like living by, mm -hmm. you, you know, the, what you see in the world. You're going to judge your, the quality of life by the circumstances, man. You're already set up for failure mm -hmm. in terms yeah. of uh, peace. Yeah. You're not going to have any peace that way. Nothing that you're going to be like to and fro. Depends on what the water looks like and how you feel about your life. Is that really what it comes down to? But that's really what it comes down to for most people. That, and that's what they've been taught. Yeah. In the name of the Lord. Yeah. Is so the problem. I judge whether I'm blessed on how things are going. Wow. People don't even know what blessed means. Bless you, brother. Right, right. When you sneeze. 
So, in, in honor of Independence Day, well, I just felt to read these verses here. Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so what is the yoke of bondage? Religion is one way of describing it, yes. Anybody else have any other Definitions they like to use? Trying to father your own life. Trying to father your own life, mm -hmm. yes, which is what religion teaches. Commandments. Commandments, performing the commandments, yeah. Living by the carnal mind. Living by the carnal mind, yeah. Yeah, the carnal mind cannot know God. And you know what it means? It means they can't see that God's their father. Paul, right before that, says we've been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And then he goes in the carnal mind, it's enmity against God. It cannot understand God or the things of God, meaning it can't see God's their father. And the reason it can't see God's their father is because they're judging themselves and God by the death they see in the world. Mm -hmm. The death in the world is what fathered the carnal mind or which fathers a mind filled with working or the knowledge of good and evil, right? Where you judge God by the knowing of good and evil, <laughs> by whether you think you see what is good or evil in your life, you now judge God by that. And you judge yourself by whether you think you see good or evil in your own life. That's what the carnal mind does. Well, even having the right government to have, but you know, I mean, if you look at Independence Day, we claimed independence in 1776, and then in 1791, 96, I forgot, Whiskey Rebellion, the country that claimed independence was doing the same thing England was doing to them, so that you claim independence in the sense that, you know, 15 years later, the United States was doing, you know, to Pennsylvania what England was doing to the United States would cause them yeah. to claim independence. My point in saying that is they got the government they want, but they still wasn't peace. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Right? The yoke of bondage is you trying to produce through your own devices. <laughs> God has promised to produce. Which is kind of what ambitious men do. They, and ambitious men generally make it into government and oppress others. Absolutely. Ambitious people, not knowing the promise of God, yes. will ultimately end up oppressing others yes. with their ambition. Yeah. Right? Because they'll they'll they might have a they might have started with the pure desire between them and God. Right, But the moment they now take that desire and they take it upon themselves to produce it and reproduce that action in other people, it's now turned from desire to lust. Where you had a good thing that you started with, but now you're lusting after bringing it forth. Because you're lusting after bringing it forth, you got to enlist the, the blood, sweat, and tears of all the people around you, right? Which is really what it is. The yoke of bondage. Right, Paul goes on to say, um, I say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole of law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Justification is the justification of life. Meaning that God comes and proves what he said about man being their children is true. And the way he proves that it's true is he come and give you his life as a gift. 
or offer it to you or make it available to you as a gift. Because the only way you could have access or an inheritance that is his life is if you're his child, right? Like, I don't have an inheritance stored up in Thomas and Lisa. You know what I'm saying? And in, in, the, in the day that the Lord tarries, should they go home to be with the Lord after they live to be the grand age of 150 years old? <laughs> and I show up at their, their uh, service, and I'm telling their kids about how that part of the inheritance is mine. You think, what do you think their kids are going to say? No candy for you. That's right. <laughs> Why? Because I'm not one of his children. And so Paul's basically saying, listen, man, you can't justify yourself with life. You can't prove yourself to be as you ought to be by your own strength and by your own good works. You can't do it that way. He goes on to say, listen to what he says. Whosoever you are justified by your own works, which is the law, you are fallen from grace. Means you're walking outside of the strength of God to justify you, and you're walking in your own strength to justify yourself. Listen to what he goes on to say. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That's a loaded thing he says there. And people just gloss over that, not even thinking about what he says there. So the, how do you he says we wait through the Spirit for the certainty of God's life. We wait through the Spirit for the certainty of the fruit of God's life being brought forth in us. We wait through the Spirit, and that Spirit gives us a certainty of the gifts of the Spirit coming forth in us when they're needed, while they're needed. We wait through the Spirit. So then how do you wait through the Spirit? How do you do that? Right? Because those are all very uh, spiritual words. And so we can read over it, but what does that mean, right? But not take it upon yourself to bring it to pass. You don't take it upon yourself to bring it to pass? Yes. That's an aspect of what it means to wait through the Spirit. Notice what Paul says, that there's grace for us. You want to say something? Yeah, the same way Jesus waited to come out of the grave. Yeah? <laughs> he waited in the Spirit until he came out. And what, what, what did that look like? He rested in persuasion. He rested it. Yep. All right. We're getting closer now. Be still. <laughs> Be still. That's the fruit of it. Hang out. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to read the verse again. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness. Just real quick for anybody watching. The hope of righteousness would just, righteousness would just be the fruit of God's life. So whether you want to call that the gifts of the Spirit, the ministry gifts are the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says Christ has become of no effect to you to produce those things in you because you're not walking in his strength to produce it. You're walking in your own strength trying to produce it. He says then we, we have a certainty of those things happening inside of us through the Spirit. We have a certainty of those things happening inside of us through the Spirit. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. I'm going to keep reading. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. Then he goes on to say, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Who did hinder you that you should not be persuaded by the truth? So he uses the word truth and faith there interchangeable. So we wait through the Spirit by Faith. I'm just going to add a definite article in there to help us understand. We wait through the Spirit by the hearing of the faith. 
And as we're hearing the faith, that faith will make us still. It will put us to rest. It will persuade us. And so it's through the hearing of the faith. He said, you did run well, but now you're no longer obeying the truth. They did run well because he put Christ on display in front of them, and they heard the faith. He said, this is only what I ask you. Receive you the Holy Spirit by the hearing of faith or by your own works? So you did run well because you began with God through the Spirit by the hearing of faith. But now you're no longer continuing with God through the Spirit by the hearing of faith. You're now taking upon yourself to bring forth what God has promised to produce in you through the Spirit. Because you've been hearing something other than the Because faith. you've been hearing something else. You've been hearing these other guys come and tell you how you're going to produce the, the, the life of God. You're going to produce the gifts of God. You're going to produce the uh, fruit of God's life. So guard your heart. So guard your heart. Right? So, guys, this is why I emphasize the hearing of the faith. And if you do hear me emphasizing anything we do, it is this is the work. Right? It's not a work in our terms of thinking what a work is. As Gary would say, it's a passive action. And it is a passive action. But we have a certainty of God's life. We have a certainty of God producing his gifts and his life in us. And that certainty is contained in the faith. Right? Contained in his spirit. And so what gives us a certainty that that's going to come forth in us is the hearing of the faith. That's it. That's actually why we gather. That's why we spend so much time gathering. For Bible studies and for meetings. Because we purposed here to only talk the faith ever. Because we actually believe that within the faith is the power to bring forth everything we want to come forth. <laughs> whether it be evangelism, whether it be prophesying, whether it be words of wisdom, words of knowledge, giving, generosity. We believe the power for all those things to come forth is contained in the faith. We believe the faith is God's strength to produce it. And that's why we sit and hear it. That's why we talk it. That's what Paul's talking about. That's how you wait through the Spirit. You keep hearing the faith. I think you, I think you shouldn't possibly call it Bible study. You should call it Bible revelation. I like that. I think that's better. Bible revelation. I think that's much better. And that's the whole point Paul's making to them. We're, we're making Christ of no effect when we try to compel people to do what is good. Evangelism is good. Loving people is good. Being at peace with people is good. Patience is good. All those things are good. But man, when we come and tell people that they need to do it, we're making Christ of no effect. Because either we're going to produce it or Christ will. And the way Christ produces it is through us sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing the faith. The way we produce it is we're going to bring it forth. Right? So today, guys, when we're done, we're all going to go knocking door to door. So that we can evangelize. No, we're not. <laughs> we're going to ride our bikes to do that. <laughs> I ran many years ago from that. I'll run today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Does that make sense? We wait through the Spirit. And Paul, right before he got to chapter 5, he's busy talking about the promise. The promised child. The promised seed. The promise. The promise. The promise. Well, a promise contains within it the implication. I don't even say the implication. The declaration that the one who said it or promised will produce it. And so, man, I, my prayer for the body of Christ is that we can agree all these things are good. Oh, hallelujah. They're all good. The question is, how are they coming forth? That's the question. And that's what I wish the ministers in the body of Christ would begin wrestling or re reasoning with each other about. 
We can all agree these things are good, but how are they going to come forth? And Paul would come and say, the way they're going to come forth is through the hearing of faith. This is only what I asked you. Received ye the Holy Spirit by evangelizing? Nope. No. Okay. No. Then if you didn't receive the Holy Spirit by evangelizing, then why do you think you're going to produce evangelism? So however you heard the whole, however you received the Holy Spirit is the way that every good thing that you say is good is also going to come forth in people. And so honestly, if I'm seeing a group of people that I think they think evangelism, they're not, they're, even, if I, even if I come to a carnal conclusion, well, I don't think they're testifying enough. The answer would be to preach the faith. It wouldn't be to tell them they must evangelize. Do you see? The carnal mind would have his conclusion, and the spiritual mind would have their conclusion. Right? You preach the faith. If you want the gifts of the Spirit to manifest in people, you preach the faith. That's what would persuade the cup to Jesus and will overflow. Jesus can actually produce his life in people. Yeah. He really can. He actually can arrest a person's heart with the love of God for people. He actually can. He actually can. Right? And I mean, listen, some people sometimes, and I, I can despise myself sometimes too. The reason why I preach so much doctrine is because there's so much confusion everywhere in the church about how any of this stuff works. And this thing, I promise you, if you don't know how God produces his gifts and his fruit in people, you are heading back to bringing it forth yourself. Mm -hmm. Because you'll still sit with the strong desire that it's good. You'll sit with the strong desire to see it. And if you don't know how it comes forth, you're going to take it up yourself. That's why I preach so much doctrine. To straighten this nonsense out for myself, for all of us, and for the church and the world that's been beaten and bruised by well-intentioned ministers, desiring what's good, but not understanding that we have a certainty of what's good through the Spirit by hearing the faith. So preach the faith to people. Preach the faith to people, man. And then they'll be engaged in this union with the Father. And they'll, they'll be caught up in this dynamic where they see the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. And they'll have this dance with the Father. And out of this beautiful dance with the Father, I promise you something beautiful is coming forth. It is. And so preach the faith. Amen. Amen. Hey, right now, uh, I'm sitting here thinking of churches. And they could really be put in two categories, Martha churches or Mary churches. Yeah. <laughs> and every church we've been to before this one was a Martha church. Yeah. Serve, 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 serve. And this is finally a Mary church where all you want us to do is sit at the feet yeah. and listen to the word. And I would bet if that's if we saw the conclusion of that story, that after Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, I bet she got up at some point and asked Martha, can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Good. No, you're right. Listen. If I stopped and took stock of all the beautiful things that I've seen come out of the people in this church, and I made a point to tell stories of it all the time, and to chronicle it all the time, and pound my chest about it all the time, the people in this church are beautiful people that love people, man, and it makes me cry when I see God manifest out of them. And what makes me cry even more is I ain't never had to tell a single one of them to do anything. And all I can say in my heart as I start to want to cry is glory to God. Because I see that God has actually did what he promised, right? And But it's not about that. We want to so badly tell stories of our exploits 
Matt and I were talking about this a little. We want to tell stories of our exploits and all the good things we did, right? Instead of talking about the God who's good, right? And filling people's hearts with God instead of filling people's hearts with lust for the exploits. Annette. I was just thinking about, you know, coming out of all those churches, those Martha churches, but look at how, what God, where God led us. You know, I mean, God still, <laughs> he produced, right. he produced, I mean, I look back on my life, you know, and, and all the different churches I went to, and it's just, it's, I think it's just a beautiful thing, because, I mean, there were, I, there were beautiful people, I love the people, every single place I've been in, you know, and, and, but God brought something forth in my heart that led me to the next place, to the next place, to the next place, and, you know, for yeah. the last 10 years here. You know, Gertie Bradford, but here, and I mean, bringing me different. Right, I was thinking about when I um, realized or had the revelation of God being my father. You know, that was ten, eleven, maybe twelve years ago, um, and it was just it came out of being actually the really good thing that came out of Bible college <laughs> was that they used to tell me it's all about relationship. Every problem I had, and I was a mess. I, I, the answer was always, it's all about your relationship, all about your relationship. I mean, I'd get so mad. I mean, like, I need some answers. I need to know what to do, you know? And it's the best thing that came out of Bible college because as I sat and talked with God about what, and, and prior to that, I had separated God from Jesus. And I had thought that God only looked at me through Jesus, but he never saw me. Mm -hmm. And that really mm -hmm. bothered me. Yeah. He doesn't see me. You know, I wanted him to see me. I wanted to know I was loved yeah. as his child. And so, and that was just, you know, I remember being at work and I was, yes, I was talking in tongues and, you know, the Holy Spirit brought it forth that the reason is that <laughs> it's all about relationship is because it is all about our relationship with our father, yeah. <laughs> knowing him, his father, and knowing that he knows us as his children. And I got that. And I got that, and then I no longer saw Jesus and God and the Father separated, yeah. or the Holy Spirit. I saw them as one, yeah. and it was just beautiful. And you know, and then just God has just opened up more and more and more along the way, and um, it's just so. So no matter where we were in all those Martha churches, you, we become Marys, you know, and and it, it's just been beautiful. Yeah, the, the, the human heart is, is specifically designed to. Be filled with God. Like God thought, what is it that I could manifest myself out of? What's the greatest magnifier? Who and what I am? And he builds the human heart. So our hearts have a tremendous capacity to be filled with God. A tremendous capacity to be filled with God. And it's a beautiful thing watching that happen. And that's the, if you read the Bible, the exhortation that's always given to all the churches is to continue in the faith. That was the thing they were always battling against. They were never battling against people for not loving enough, for not doing this. It was always continue in the faith. Paul, when he said he ran his course, he finished his race, did he say he evangelized enough? Did he say that he healed enough people? Did he say that it was because he loved enough people? No, he said, I never left the faith. James's whole letter is about people who were not continuing in the faith. Galatians is about people who were not continuing in the faith. Hebrews is about people who were not continuing in the faith. Timothy, Titus, all the exhortation was about continuing in the faith. The work of continuing in the faith, not being moved off the faith. Everything in this world is trying to move human beings off of the faith. 
and any exhortation towards human beings about anything that they're doing or not doing should be geared towards are they in the faith or not? Has something in this world moved them outside of hearing the faith and into trusting in their own strength, right? And all of our exhortation should be about that. That's what it, that's what it all is in the Bible. Paul said, I ran the good race. I finished my course. I never left the faith. I ne And so why would he say that? That's all that mattered to him. And that meant there was a tremendous pressure to leave the faith. Paul's not unique to all of us human beings that are in the body of Christ. There's a tremendous pressure for the human beings in the body of Christ to be moved off of the faith. And it isn't just coming from the world, but it's coming from the church world where we're desiring what's good, but not knowing the, the power of God to bring forth what is good, we're trying to bring forth the good. And we're moving people off of the faith. And everything, if you want to correct people, the only correction that should come is they're not in the faith. Yep. That's the only correction. And the way you would correct is by moving them back into the faith. Like Paul does in Galatians, like Hebrews, like James, like all of them are doing. Man. Like you said, by preaching the faith. By preaching Not our faith. the faith. You know, it was for so long about our producing mm -hmm. the faith. Mm -hmm. And then to hear it is about God's faith, Jesus' yeah. faith, his, him producing this, us receiving his faith. Yeah. It's just, wow, it just changed everything. It does, doesn't it? There's so many, yeah. No, that fixed everything yeah. in my life. Yeah. And I actually found belief and trust in my heart yeah. that was never there. And I wanted to. Right trust all the time and it frees you to you know the areas of life that you do struggle with because we all struggle with things here time to time you know to say i don't have it i don't have the faith to do this and i don't feel condemned you know someone says oh you you don't have enough faith and yeah, yeah i do i have all of god's faith yeah. <laughs> it's just you know there's, there's this area and he'll take care of it he'll That's produce right. it so i'll hear the faith right just i'll keep hearing God. the faith we you know the subtle part like listen to the six-part series on enlarging your faith with the workbook and the small groups. <laughs> that is really jumping off a cliff and asking God to stop you from, you know, falling to the ground. I mean, that's really what it is, yeah. enlarging faith. Because, I mean, it's such a mis you know, misnomer. But, you know, people are like, okay, we got to do this step to enlarge your faith. But I mean that's the same thing that Jesus was dealing with in the um, in the um, in the desert, because Satan was telling Jesus to enlarge your own faith, so that you can be whatever you want. No, you're exactly right. He was tempting him to tempt God, which is what the the term stepping out in faith. There's no such thing as stepping out in faith. <laughs> that's tempting God, actually. It, right. There is, I'm persuaded or I'm not. Yep. That's what it is. And if you're not persuaded, there's no shame in that. Just talk with God because his faith will persuade you. But it's like Yoda. When Luke was telling, when Yoda was training up Luke and, and Luke says, okay, I'll try. He says, no, there's no try. There is do or don't do, mm -hmm. right? There is no stepping out in faith. <laughs> there is you're persuaded or you're not persuaded, yeah. right? That's, that's it. That's it. That's one of the weird things I've heard at church. It's like now you gotta act out of what you believe. It's like we always act out of what you believe. <laughs> I have a feeling. Otherwise, <laughs> like I have a feeling called thirst. I believe water is gonna satisfy that. I'm gonna drink water. Yeah. You know. That's a... 
is. <laughs> yeah, we can't. I mean, we can't help but do what's in our hearts. It's just not possible. God knows that. That's why God speaks to the heart. That's why God persuades the heart, right? That's why God is a lover of all of our hearts, man. He pampers us. I was at a seminar on how to command healing. Oh, and uh, we, we had to go. Everybody got healed. Practice. We had to go do it. Practice. So uh, general public was kind of invited not to, you know, get with somebody and see what their problem is and fix it. <laughs> but there's one guy who had one eye. He had a patch on <laughs> And I thought to myself, well, if I have faith and God can do it, I'm going to pick that guy. <laughs> I picked him. Nothing happened. It was, it was just funny because I was thinking, you know, I was thinking, yeah, God is able to do this. But I had this belief that he was going to do it by me doing it. And I, that's not how it happened. Well, I but, you know, you know, I, it was kind of funny because I put, <laughs> put my hand on his eye patch. He healed. I wanted to look under there. <laughs> Well, look, he ends up going blind in the other round. At least you, <laughs> at least you didn't it hurt was comical. Guy. It was comical. At least you didn't hurt your guy because my guy was pulling his other leg out to make it even. <laughs> I, mean, oh, yeah. it's not I mean, it's ugly. I mean, it's not. Oh, fun, yeah. Every healing service always has the uneven yeah. leg right. every time. The, the, the problem, again, yeah. it, it goes back to the overall theme. There is a gift of healing, and people yeah. can be healed. But from what foundation are we doing it? And what I found was is we were doing it lusting uh -huh. after life or the seal of the deal, that yeah. we are as we ought to be, yep. right? We were lusting after believing God was with us. Well, or, or, or another way of putting it is you're looking for proof. Yep. But if you already had faith, you wouldn't need the proof. That's right. So you're looking for proof. That's right. We were praying for miracles yeah. for proof like, instead of from faith, from yeah. total persuasion yeah, right. already. Right. I like how Bertie preached on um, miracles point to the resurrection. So if I were to pray for a guy, he'd be healed. I'm like, look, you know why? Because there was a guy who raised from a, from the dead with an immortal body that will never have to deal with any health issues again. And you can have that same thing, too, just by believing he got raised from the dead. It persuades people. It can persuade people. I was oh. at a, uh, I was at a not a healing service, but I was at a church, and at the end of the service, the, the pastor was, I don't even remember what the message was about, because I mean, I was like, I wasn't even a Christian then. I didn't even know it was about, I was just there. And so I was actually there because a friend of mine said, if you come to church and you bring the Lord in your heart, he will heal you, because I was sick. And so, um, but talking about all these different people. So at the end of this service, you know, they said, you want to come up and pray? Somebody will lay hands on you and receive your healing and blah, blah, blah. So I went up. And I thought it was interesting because when I went up and I just closed my eyes, nobody was looking around the room or anything, but I did notice like I was like one of the last people to go up. There was probably 25 or 30 people up there, and people were walking up there and praying and laying hands on them. Now, I went up, and I know you know this story, that nobody came to pray with me. I'm standing up there. I am not a Christian. I'm in this new church, and nobody came to lay hands on me. Nobody came to pray with me. And God and I had a moment. We, mm. we had our we had our come to Jesus moment. And as far as I know, I am the only person that had a miracle healing that day. Mm. That nobody laid hands on me but God. Mm. God laid hands on me and healed me that day. And I testified to that to all the people after the fact, not in that moment, because I was still standing up there slain in the spirit, and everybody else had pretty much already left. They were waiting on me to get out of there. 
and I am the only person that I know in that whole thing that didn't have somebody lay hands on him, but God laid his hand on me, and I got healed that day and became a Christian that day. Captivated by the love of God. Mm. Nobody else, nobody else that I know that went up there said anything about getting healed. Speak like Yoda. Mm. Captivated by the love of God's work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when God meets you, God meets you. You know, and that's that's what it is. You don't need anybody to lay a hand. On and when the heart, right? And when the heart is actually seeking God, exactly. Right, where the heart exactly. just wants to know God. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. And I'm still healed to this day. Yeah. That was August of 1996. So just like with all the other things, to anybody that would watch this, it's, we're not, it's not that we despise healing, but we we see that. The disciples and those guys came back rejoicing that they had authority over the demons. And Jesus said, I see Lucifer falling from the sky. Right? And what he was trying to point out to them is that they were rejoicing in the wrong thing. Rather rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Because that's what the whole thing is about. And I think the church has gotten a little sideways with their ideas of miracles and signs and wonders. And it's like we rejoice more in that than we do that our names are written in the book of life. Like we get up and tell, and listen, I've been guilty of this, and so it's not to despise anybody, but it is for the church to collectively come together and, and say, listen, man, we ain't really been in the faith. It's okay. It's okay. We're little children needing to mature. But it's like we want to stand up and tell stories about all the miracles and signs and wonders we've seen instead of talking about the eternal life that we have in Jesus. Right. And if I came in I, and I purposely don't do this, but if I gathered together and stood every Sunday and told everybody about all the mighty miracles we've seen in our lives, more people would come. But it wouldn't have anything to do with eternal life. It'd just be telling stories. And people are like, wow, David. Wow. And then yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Can you lay hands on me? Right. right? And we're missing the point. And then you live from miracle to miracle. Instead of being established on the word of eternal life and having an incorruptible life dwelling inside of you and persuading your heart that you have all things that pertain to life and God likeness in Jesus and not in this world, right? And then from there, if you feel a, a, a desire to lay hands on the sick, like I just preached a message about uh, on earth as it is in heaven. You start binding the death that's in the earth. You start speaking a word that's overcome death in the flesh, and that will bind death in people's lives. And you start praying from that foundation, and people start being, believing. There's a life that overcomes death. And you start seeing people get healed in a number of different kinds of yeah, ways. Yeah. And I hate to break it to everybody. For me, the most powerful miracle, and I believe Paul says it, is for the love of God to be born in somebody's heart. He even says all these other things will fail. He says all these other things will fail a person. Did Jesus perform a miracle when he was on the cross? Ooh. Was it a word of wisdom or knowledge he gave that saved him? No. Ooh. No. What was it, man? The love of God didn't fail him. And so the most powerful thing that could happen is through death being bound in people's hearts, through the declaration of the resurrection of the dead, and their hearts being circumcised from fear and being filled with the love of God. That is the greatest sign and wonder for the love of God to be born in somebody's heart. That's a sign and a wonder, I promise you. Right? I mean, Moses, when he threw his staff on the ground, Janus and Jambra, they threw their staff on the ground and snakes came up also. And so there's a lot of different religions that can multi- that can manipulate signs and wonders and all these different kinds of things. But I tell you, there's one thing they can't produce. They can't produce a word that can set somebody's heart free from fear and fill it with the love of God. They can't produce a life that can bind death. Right? I don't care what sign they can produce. It can't bind death in people's hearts. That's honestly the sign that I'm after. And that's actually what I rejoice in the most. 
right? And we don't despise the other miracles, but I feel like the church is in the place where, uh, oh, oh, the love, oh, yeah, the love of God was born in their heart. Oh, okay, well, you know, over here, I'll just stop for a day. Right. That's what you call dispositive evidence. Yeah. You know, just to give testimony to what you're bringing forth as far as the fruit of preaching the faith and on a continual basis and the results of us sitting and feeding on it, feeding on it. For the last 30 years, I've been exposed to a lot of different ministries, and of these different ministries, most of them had a heavy, heavy emphasis on supernatural manifestations taking place. But uh, one thing that I noticed uh, when I was here, I was here about a year ago, and up until that time, there weren't these kind of meetings weren't being put on the internet so so much. So that was my first exposure to the people sitting in this room. And from that, and I noticed something that day, and I've noticed it on other times now that this kind of thing is actually being so I could feed off of it, not being here in the midst of it. And even here today, the thing that I see here, and it's the fruit of, of being exposed to the preaching of the faith, is the people in this room, you guys are deep wells of wisdom. And it, I've never experienced anything like that in the in my exposure to all these different supernatural ministries. And, and, and in my dealings with those, I, I always had a way to get into the, the back room of it and, and meet with the who's who's and all that and spend time with them, getting to know them and everything. And it, what I, what's, what's in this room right here doesn't come close to what I had experienced in the past. And I count it a privilege to be in the midst of you guys. Totally Thanks for sharing. Love you. That's awesome. Yeah, listen, man, I count it a privilege to sit with these people daily because it, it blows me. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up at past 12. Happy Independence Day, not just in the U.S., but in Christ. And uh, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. For you have a certainty that God will produce his life in you through the hearing of the faith. Hallelujah. I had to call my own. I'm like, wow. Love at the bar last night. Love it. Love it.